My name is Cole, and you are listening to the newsletter Nerd Show. I am your host Aksha Chandramouli, and this is a show that celebrates independent newsletter creators from across the globe. So, what would you say is your most prized possession, Cole? Um, my books. I would say, yeah, my books. I have a growing collection of them. I'd say I have about. three or four hundred right now and my dream is to one day have a library of just a ton of books and have a study where I can just write um, at all hours so write and read so yeah my my books that's a fantastic answer and with that we've kick-started today's episode on the newsletter not show thank you so much for joining me you know I've been a big fan of yours for a long time now so I like I said this almost feels surreal to be having this conversation but so glad uh, I have you with me here Cole. Oh that's that's really cool to hear. I'm I'm just happy to be here. I appreciate the the invite. Thank you so much. Uh, I know you also have a puppy yourself Cole. So if you can tell us about June I think that would be a great start for this conversation. Yes, so her name is June and it was inspired by a musician's wife who is also a musician but Johnny Cash's wife is named June or was named June. And they had a really beautiful love story that was tumultuous and um but but full of passion. I think there was a ton of love there, but I always thought June was such a pretty name and I adopted her so she's a pit bull. I adopted her in July, which I know is kind of ironic that her name is June, but I adopted her actually after a pretty pretty rough breakup with someone who meant a lot to me and June was sort of my way of getting out of my head a little bit have something else to take care of besides myself and she's been one of the top 5 decisions I've ever made in my life so I I just adore mm, that's fantastic that's very heartwarming to hear there you were also from Nashville cool so how would you describe life there Nashville is fast and slow at the same time. So I've been to quite a few cities. I actually lived in Chicago for about a year. And I would almost describe Nashville as a Chicago in miniature in a way where it's full of creativity and people are very ambitious and they're driven and everyone is doing something interesting, which is really inspiring to be a, a part of as a writer. but at the same time i think that there's a lovely slowness that sort of takes over the culture here so while everyone is driven it doesn't seem like everyone is rushing everywhere whereas in chicago and and i i i really love chicago but something i didn't love about chicago is it just felt like everybody was racing and they were behind and they were running late to a party that the rest of the world knew nothing about and it became a little bit exhausting to be a part of that every single day whereas nashville you still get that inspiration but there is a little bit more of a slowness here that reminds you to savor some of the simpler things in life mm-hmm. love that love how you put it my next question is actually an interesting one because you mentioned that books are your most prized possession i know that you have books to your name as well there is one minute please this quarantine dreams and there's also another one called after her So talk to us about that side of Cole, Cole the poet. So I by day I work in advertising. Um I write advertising for brands like Bowflex and I've done some projects with Google and 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 just various brands and and that's 
a fascinating lifestyle and one that I've thoroughly enjoyed. But another part of me is I, I write poetry too. So uh, when the sun goes down and, you know, maybe the whiskey comes out, I'm, I'm, I'm writing poetry. And, and so far I've written, like you said, two, two books, uh, One Minute Please, Quarantine Dreams. And then I have a third one coming out called After Her. And poetry has just been this really beautiful exploration of the thoughts and feelings that I'm having and, and just getting those out and into words. And I found that it's really informed my copywriting and my advertising writing um, because it's forced me to sort of push the boundaries of writing. Uh, and I think some of that, that carries over when I, um, I, I think I have a different flavor than a lot of copywriters out there, but then vice versa. A lot of the advertising and marketing lessons I'm learning uh, in advertising and running hot honey copy, I've been able to apply to the poetry side of things where after I get done writing uh, a poem or, or writing a collection of poems that eventually end up in a book, I feel like I'm able to solid job of, of, of marketing that poetry book or whatever. So it's, it, I, I enjoy it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what do you see as your biggest pet peeve when it comes to writing, Cole? That is a great question. Yeah, my biggest pet peeve, I would say, is wasting the reader's time. I think that the most okay. valuable thing a reader can give us is their time, um, even more so than money. I mean, money is a, in my opinion, an infinite resource where someone can always go out and get savvier and get smarter and work more hours to make more money but we all have a, a very limited amount of time. So I think when we're writing something as writers or marketers or whatever, we have a responsibility to the reader to make sure that if they're willing to give us this really valuable resource, which is their time, we have the responsibility to them to not waste it. And I, I feel like there's a lot of brands out there, a lot of writers who are writing these monstrously long pieces that are incredibly boring and it's in my opinion just a little bit disrespectful to the reader because uh, they might get halfway through that and they're not getting anything out of it so yeah I would say just just be respectful of a reader's time when you're writing right and do you consciously have any mechanisms to keep you in check that you know you're keeping it concise and you're not going for the longer form of text so character count helps. Um, a lot of times when I write a piece, I might write it three different times. So if I write a, the, the first take might be on to, to one of my email lists in the form of an email. And then from there, I might polish it up into an article. And then from there, I need to publish that article to LinkedIn and, and potentially Instagram and Twitter. And when I do that, unfortunately, like Instagram has a 2200 character limit and LinkedIn has this specific character limit that I that uh, I can't think of right now. But anyways, a lot of times my pieces might run 3000 characters. So when I plug them into LinkedIn or Instagram, uh, I'm forced to have to cut the fat out of the piece and really snip it down a ton to where it can actually be published, right? Because they do have a character limit. Um, and so anyways, that has helped me a lot just in terms of okay, like here's the long-winded version of an article. Now, how can I write that same article with just as much punch uh, with only 75% of the length? So that's helped a ton. Something I recommend a lot of writers do is when they write a piece, 
just make it a habit that after you write the piece, go back through it and see if you can't say the same thing with 25% less words or 50% less words. And that's a really easy tactic to just do directly in Google, just uh, Google Docs or whatever, where you write the piece that might come in at a thousand words. Then you try to go back through it, remove the fat and see if you can't get down to 750 words without losing that punch and then do it again and take it down to 500 so you're essentially trying to write three articles, all of which are better than the last while cutting back on the number of words. And I think that that's a really great practice for, for anyone. Mm, I think that's a pretty neat trick. Uh, I mean, it's funny how simple the trick can be, but the result is, you know, very different from the original ones. Brilliant. Uh, this is a question I was very curious to ask you, uh, Cole. So outside of the internet bubble, right, outside of social media, how do people react when you tell them what you do for a living? So I generally don't tell people what I do for a living. Mm. Um, I think <laughs> I think sometimes maybe uh, because of my persona over on Honeycopy and on Instagram mm-hmm. and on other parts of the internet, it can come across as me potentially being uh, arrogant or cocky or very, very outspoken about what I do, um, which I'd say there's an element to me that's like that. But a lot of that is also just self-promotion. Um, unfortunately, there's so much noise going on on the internet that, that to stand out, um, you you do have to speak up. So I do a lot of that. But in person, I don't find talking about myself as being something interesting. And and a big reason why is because I I do love people. But also with that, I have this sort of saying that I forget where I heard it first, but everything's uh, material, you know, it's all material. So I, I can't get material for my writing by walking into a dinner party and talking about myself, but I can by watching people and asking interesting questions and learning about them. And I think that that's really the gift of, of being a writer is you, it, it gives you permission to ask good questions and to take a, a deeper look at the people that live in this world. And I think it, it's, it's a meditation on being a little bit more selfless with, with the people around you, you know? Uh, so anyways, all that to say, a lot of times, like if someone asks me that around my friends or people who know what I do, they're, they're always like, why didn't you tell them? Or uh, I don't feel like you said you, you told the whole truth about what you do. And big reason is I just don't find it that being something that's super interesting to discuss. Um, but but yeah, so uh, people don't really have a reaction because I don't I don't get into it, you know. Mm-hmm, got that, got that. So you brought up Honey Copy, and I think now it's time to talk more about Honey Copy. So tell us what it is that you do at Honey Copy, and what was life like before you decided to launch Honey Copy? Yes, yeah, so Honey Copy is a, a creative writing shop. It's super small. It's just me. I actually recently hired another person that will act as sort of my business manager and will handle growth and stuff for Honey Copy, but I do... Uh, literally all of the writing, which has always been super important to me. Um, But it works with uh, brands um, like the brands I mentioned earlier to to just write copy that is different from a lot of the copy people are reading on the web. Uh, And my slogan for it is um, pretty words that read, read like poetry and sell like Ogilvy, which the latter is a tribute to one of my favorite um, minds in advertising who has since passed. That's David Ogilvy. Um, 
but yeah, it, that's part of the business, right? So that brings in about 50% of the revenue where people are actually hiring me to write their copy and their advertising. And then the other 50% is driven through me teaching other people how to write copy and how to start freelance businesses, uh, as well as my poetry books and um, a few other products that I sell. Um, I think that's really important for freelancers to think about because eventually you spend so much time working with clients that you kind of get to this place where you're emotionally and mentally and creatively exhausted. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what, what honey copy is. Um, and I can get into the story of, of how it started, but, um, that's, that's, that's essentially what it is. Mm-hmm, right. And how would you describe life before honey copy? Life before honey copy felt a little bit like a life without color right so maybe a black and white movie which again is i know maybe a bit hypocritical because i only use black and white imagery on everything that i do uh-huh. <laughs> yeah but but yeah i just felt like when i found honey copy my life had purpose and meaning for the first time but i was working at an advertising agency in my hometown of evansville indiana which is in uh, southern indiana And I just absolutely hated that job. Uh, And keep in mind at that advertising agency, I was was really working primarily in in business development and and kind of doing everything, but it wasn't necessarily my passion of writing. And one day I just quit. You know, I just walked out of the place, um, which I wouldn't recommend people do. I think that's very rude. Mm -hmm. But I I just walked out and said enough's enough. And the next day I, I came back in early that morning, put in my two weeks, Uh, My boss and I left on pretty solid terms, and then I decided to go all in on writing. Uh, But, you know, unfortunately with that, I had to come up with a way to bring in some dough. So I ended up taking a job at a construction company where I was responsible for tearing out carpet in these old sweltering apartment buildings where the, the carpet was like 10 to 15 years old and covered in cat piss and and, and dog shit. And it was just like a really, really nasty job. But I remember just turning on a podcast, throwing in the earbuds and listening to, you know, great minds like Tim Ferriss and some of these other podcasts to just sort of uh, change my thinking of this isn't just a $15 an hour job, but it's more so a, a paid MBA, right? Because I'm, I'm essentially like working, but I'm also getting to listen to these really intelligent people talk about marketing and advertising and, and the growth mindset and success and all that stuff. Um, but the irony of it all was when uh, about two or three months into all of this, my advertising agency had to do a renovation. So they hired my construction company to come in to do that renovation. So about two to three months after I had quit that advertising agency, I was back there, but this time I was working in work boots and shorts and covered in grime and dust. And I was tearing out carpet. Looking back, it's, it's funny now, but at the time it was a very humbling experience and an emotional one too, because I was forced to ask myself, like, is this the, the direction that I'm supposed to be heading, you know? Uh, having a college degree, but I'm working manual labor and not that there's anything wrong with manual labor or, or blue collar work, but I think that you should do that if it's your passion or if it's something that you should do. Right. Um, but uh, a moment of clarity and all that was, I realized that pain of tearing out that carpet, beginning to go home a day and build honey copy was a lot less painful than being stuck at that office and having to do a job that I just wasn't passionate about, that I didn't love. 
Um, so that was life before honey copy. And at nights I would build, uh, build up that my, my little writing shop and cold email a ton of people and, and slowly build a reputation for being a, a, a solid copywriter. And one day I just got to the point where I was making enough money through writing that I no longer had to do the, the carpet tearing stuff. Uh, and I haven't really looked back since. That's very fascinating to hear, Cole. And uh, since we're talking about honey copy and newsletters itself, because that is what this show is also based upon, it's time to talk about not one, not two, but three of your newsletters, right? You run Sticky Notes, there's Strangers in Fiction, and you also recently launched the paid newsletter called Chasing Hemingway. So talk to us more about the newsletters. When do you decide to launch these newsletters? And what is the story behind each of them? Yeah. So we'll start with sticky notes. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, kind of what I mentioned early on with freelancing is I think it's really important for freelancers to think about themselves as freelancers uh, slash entrepreneur, right? Because you, the skills you're learning as a freelancer, whether that's graphic design or in my case, writing, those can be applicable to turn around and build and market your own products. And so early on, I, I'm ha- I was having to cold email a ton of different brands, you know, close to a hundred every single week or more and ask them to let me write articles for them or emails or what have you. And I just realized, you know, to do this forever would just be exhausting. And so I started writing articles and directing traffic from those articles to this landing page that I had created uh, for my newsletter sticky notes. And the promise was simple. It was just, you know, once a week, I'll send you some, some tips on writing copy and advertising and marketing. And at first it was really a slow go, but over time, the, the, the number of subscribers really, really grew. Uh, And that has been my longest standing newsletter. So each week I will, write, um, you know, three or four articles that I'll feature in that newsletter. And then I'll always write an intro just touching on whatever thoughts or musings or or things that I've sort of seen just living, right. Um, that hopefully can connect to advertising or writing, but sometimes they riff on love and sometimes they riff on, um, you know, just having like a hustle mentality and, and, and making good art and, and creativity and, and all that stuff. But what I found with that newsletter is I think so many times people approach newsletters as, hey, we have to stay specific to like this niche, which I think is true. But I think it's also important to remember that if you have 10,000 marketers reading your newsletter, you also have 10,000 wives and husbands reading that newsletter you have 10,000 parents reading that newsletter you have 10,000 brothers and sisters reading that newsletter so you aren't just having people who are marketers you're having people who are experiencing a lot of challenging things in life and I think it would be a disservice to just strictly talk to them about marketing if I feel I have insight to share on these other challenges that I'm going through right so um that newsletter um grew and it's still it's still growing uh and i sort of saw like how successful newsletters can be so i launched a secondary newsletter called stranger than fiction which on the contrary that one is very very focused on marketing and advertising so i'll find really cool stories about uh people making a whole lot of money with like an interesting idea. Like uh, one of my favorite stories is where Airbnb sold cereal early on in their career to make uh, to, to make $50,000 to pay off their credit cards um, that they had, like they were in just a ton of debt. So during the uh, Obama McCain sort of election, they created Obama O's uh, 
and like McCain puffs or something like that. And they repackaged them and just sold them and they were selling them for like $50 a box. So I'll take stories like that and turn around and turn them into emails. And that has been really helpful for marketers and entrepreneurs and people just looking for creative ideas, right? Um, and then recently I launched a paid newsletter called Chasing Hemingway. And Chasing Hemingway is more, more, more so my way of giving myself permission to, to write about anything I want to write about, not just strictly advertising and marketing. Because there is a part of me that at times feels guilty if I touch on those topics too much. So Chasing Hemingway is just strictly about life and writing and how the to exist so magically together. And um, yeah, it's still small, but it's cool to get a little bit of dough from sending out those emails. And uh, even though the list is intimate, like everyone seems to be really enjoying it and they seem to be sticking around. So it's something I'll run for a while and I might revisit it after a year to see if it still makes sense. But but yeah, that's that's kind of the idea behind each of those. That's beautifully put, cool. And I love how you have a specific purpose for each of them, right? I think that's very difficult to achieve these days. So that is beautiful. And uh, you mentioned a couple minutes back that uh, most of your newsletters have black and white imagery, right? So I also noticed that GIFs is almost like your love language. So is that right? And how did it all happen? When did you realize that you were more of a GIF person? Sure. So I think that a lot of times I feel like I was born in the wrong era. So I will, uh, so I'm drawn to these feelings of nostalgia that come with, you know, movies like Casablanca and even more recent, you know, Goodfellas and, and, and just, just these really cool movies that were famous for their time. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, maybe aren't as relevant today. And that just became a really important aesthetic to me uh, as I was writing those emails. I didn't want it to feel like something that the reader was getting uh, in 2020, 2021, right? I wanted it to feel like they were sort of being taken back in time a little bit with my writing. And I think a lot of that probably stems from, you know, the Hemingway and Bukowski and and in some of these other famous writers who have since passed, some, some inspiration pulled from them. But yeah, it's all strictly black and white GIFs. And that's just really to set the mood and the tone of the email. Um, so it kind of functions as a placebo a little bit, I imagine, for the reader. But yeah, it's just it's just the mood I'm wanting to set. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Love that. Uh, you also have a signature, right, for your newsletter that is, but I digress. So how did you land on that? So Kurt Vonnegut has a really lovely signature at the end of his chapters and really throughout the book of a, a book called Slaughterhouse Five. It's uh, the the line is uh, and so it goes, and I thought that that was such a beautiful way to kind of act as like a touch point for the reader, like a, a pulse check. Uh, in a way, it's almost like a metronome kind of keeping pace for the reader right uh and it's the way of saying like hey that thought is done right um so some of it was inspired by by vonnegut's slaughterhouse five another part of it is more of a conscious reminder to myself and to the reader that i don't have it all figured out i am so far from being an expert on any of this stuff i am learning and I and and I'm not just saying this to be coy like I am a deeply flawed person right uh, and so the but I digress is 
kind of my way of ending the articles or the newsletters, or the emails or the creative pieces and just saying like that that's like the end of the argument for me and I, I don't have anything else to add. But I think sometimes in marketing, it feels like every single person in that space has to have like this conclusion on, you know, hey, here are these three takeaways or in closing, you need to be thinking about a, B, and C, everything so tactic and growth hack driven. And I think, but I digress is, is also my way of reminding the reader, you know, hey, think for yourself here, you know, like come to your own conclusion with this stuff. Uh, and it's just stuck and it's kind of become my, my signature and I plan on keeping it for a while. I think you really should. That's an interesting story as well on how you landed on that. Love that whole so I think we are coming towards the close of the first segment of the show. And I'm just going to leave you with two more questions, Cole. So the first one would be, are you subscribed to any newsletters? So I make a conscious effort not to read a lot of the stuff on the web. I think that we only have so much time on this earth, right? So if, if you are a voracious reader, you do have to be selective about what you read. So I don't subscribe to a lot of newsletters. Um, most of what I'm reading is all in books, right? Um, and and I think the beauty in books is that they uh, the good ones sort of stand the test of time. So right now, I am uh, reading a book called If Beale Street Could Talk, and it's by James Baldwin, who is just a phenomenal uh, writer was, and I, I try to really pack my reading full of books that have been around for decades and are still loved by a lot of people. Um, so I would just encourage people honestly to perhaps like, while I think newsletters are really important, just don't be afraid to bring more more books into the conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that. I, I I know that's maybe not the answer you're looking mm -hmm. for, but I believe in newsletters, obviously, because I run three. But yeah, I think books are just so important, and and people need to read more of them. Mm -hmm. There is no right or wrong answer, right? I love that. And this is the final question for this segment, Cole. And this is something that I like to ask all of my guests, which is: uh, Is there something that you consider a newsletter sin? Something that people should never be doing when it comes to their newsletters? Sure. So I think, I think with newsletters, you know, one thing I've seen in the advertising and marketing space that I don't, that I don't love, and I would even go so far as to say I hate is there's, there's these marketers and advertisers who are building up audiences, right? And mm -hmm. they are coming up with like these scripts for their newsletters. And then they're turning around and selling those scripts to other writers and marketers, to, to essentially just send out. And I think that that very, very dangerous thing for the industry to get into because it's removing the magic of writing, right? Um, yeah. the, the beauty and sticky notes and anything that people read at Honey Copy is that they will not find it anywhere else, right? They, mm -hmm. a um, element of trust and responsibility to the reader and commitment that when I write them something, it's coming from me. It's not coming from other great copywriters. Like one writer I adore is Laura Belgrade. She's just phenomenal. That's actually a newsletter I think everyone should subscribe to, Talking Shrimp. Um, but as much as I love her, and I think she's just a phenomenal writer, I'm not going to turn around and use her writing, right? Because to me, that's like kind of plagiarism, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and thankfully, like Laura Belgrade isn't the type of person that would ever sell out in that way. But I, I do see that a lot with newsletters and, I, and I, I don't like it because it's almost the equivalent to 
JK Rowling saying, Hey, my Harry Potter books, well, here's the template, just copy and paste it. Right. It's, it's creating a formula around art. And I think the beauty in art is that it is so contrary and it is, uh, there, there is no specific pattern with it. Right. Um, and, and so that's, that's something I don't love in newsletters. Just be very original. Like Laura Bell Gray is, uh, like myself, like, um, even the writers you're reading in these books, just, just be totally authentically yourself and don't, don't, uh, don't sell out by maybe buying other people's templates or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. I think we've nicely wrapped up the first segment with that answer, Cole. And uh, going on to the second segment of the show, this is called The Reading Room. And in this segment, you pick a favorite edition from your newsletters and you read it out for us. So do you have your favorites picked out? Well, how about this? A peek inside um, Facing Hemingway, which is my paid newsletter, Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, full disclosure, this is not... uh, a marketing newsletter, right? It's definitely more on writing, but this is a, a piece that I sent out on Valentine's Day. Um, and the subject line was the, it was just the stupid Cupid issue. Um, mm-hmm. And the preview text was, I'd be happy as hell, darling, if you stayed for just one more cup of tea. And I'll go ahead and just read that email to you now. <clears throat> she and I, are having tea at Inti in Littleton, Colorado. We didn't know it at the time, but the two of us had hit the lotto. We were sitting window side on this L-shaped bench that looks out onto a snow-covered street where people are speed walking, bundled from head to toe, holding their arms tight to their bodies, their shoulders glued to their earlobes, trying desperately to stay warm. They remind me of boxers protecting their chins from Mother Nature's jabs. When I'm not looking at the scurrying fighters, I'm looking at her, watching her pursed lips paint kisses on her mug full of hibiscus. She breathes in, she sips, she smiles, she looks up at me. Then she does it all again. I don't remember what was said between the two of us on this particular afternoon. We were comfortable in our silence the same way a crocodile is comfortable basking in the sun. I just remember being so head over heels in love with her in this moment, sitting with her, having tea with her, and watching the lovely little town of Littleton, Colorado exist, completely unaware it was in a show. She and I stayed warm through the winter months, relying on late night phone calls and big jet planes to hold our tumultuous but beautiful long distance love together. But then came spring, and with it, a cough that turned into a guillotine. And before we knew it, she and I were attempting to hold hands a thousand miles apart in the midst of a global pandemic. We fought hard until summer and then on the 4th of July and I picked up and she said goodbye and I let her go. And that was the end of it. She said something on that phone call before hanging up the phone that broke my heart. We've gotten to this place where we're only happy, truly happy when the two of us are together and baby, that's just no way to live. She I like sobers, we're relying on one another as our source of happiness, fulfillment, and purpose. And when we were forced to be apart for months on end, due to circumstances completely out of our control, our relationship couldn't survive. While tea together was absolute fucking be apart, felt like tea with the devil. So much of my life, I've relied on women to fix me, and it wasn't until the ending of this relationship that I realized I was the only person in the world capable of fixing me and keeping me happy and fulfilled and flowing with purpose. 
while relationships and these beautiful, intricate, and electrifying layers of depth and add experiences to our lives, they alone can't be our source of happiness and fulfillment and purpose. We must find that within ourselves. All that to say, today on Valentine's Day, I'm 27 and I'm as single as I've ever been. And while I'm missing her and I'm missing feeling what it's like to be in love, I'm pleased to say that I'm feeling happy, fulfilled, and full of purpose. I spent this afternoon alone, writing some at a small quaint shop in Nashville, Tennessee, looking out a great big window at a moody winter sky, reflecting on how beautiful life can be, whether we're in love, falling out of love, or somewhere in between. I did all of this whilst sipping tea. Yours, Cole. Uh, and then that's the, that was the close of the, the email. If that isn't art, then I don't know what is. So <laughs> I think I'm tearing off a little bit because of the whole picture. Well, that is beautiful. Cool. Thank you for that. Thank you. And uh, with that, I think we are moving towards the final segment of this uh, show, Cole. And this is called the newsletter, Have You Ever? So the rules are simple. I am going to be asking you five questions. And you're going to be answering them with a yes or no. And if you're interested, you can further elaborate your answer. Are you ready to play newsletter? Have you ever? Yes. All right. So this is your first question, Cole. Have you ever looked back at your very first newsletter and beamed at how far you've come from there? Yes. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Moving on to the next question, Cole. Like you've mentioned, you are not one, not two, but three newsletters. So have you ever felt overwhelmed in the process of creating content for all of these newsletters? Yes, I have. And to mitigate that, at the end of the year, most years, I'll take two, three, four weeks off where I'll just force myself to recharge, to read, to not write any newsletters whatsoever. Uh, and I, I just kind of view it as me um, refilling the well, if you will, for the year to come. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that thought, love that. Moving on to the next question, Cole. Have you ever thought about what you don't want your newsletters to become? Do not want them to turn into something. Is that something that you've given serious thought about? Yes, yes, I, I definitely have. Um, so I, early, early on, um, Early, early last year, I had to make the conscious decision of deciding who I didn't want to be. And we are at this place where copywriting is really starting to boom and people are just really recycling kind of copywriting hacks and sales hacks. And I know that there's an audience for that, but that that isn't what I want to be. I don't want to turn into the convenience store where I just throw throw out shitty packaged copywriting hacks and try to build an audience as big as possible um, because I feel like that's selling out a little bit at least for me and so earlier uh, last year I just decided you know that's not that's not what I'm going to be I'm going to really do deep dives into topics that might not always be true copywriting whether that's writing whether that's um, looking at an ad, uh, someone in advertising that uh, was alive 50, 60, 70 years ago, um, whether that's diving into Bruce Lee's philosophies. Um, I, I, I don't just touch on advertising. And I think 
the hit and all that is I'm, my list is probably not growing as fast as some of these other people in, in the world of marketing, but uh, I also feel like I am making a difference and I feel like I'm doing it for more reasons than just specifically money. And I think my biggest goal with every one of my email lists is to leave the reader better than I found them. Um, and that's not always about <clears throat> sharing, you know, the latest uh, LinkedIn hack, right? It's, it's, it's doing something deeper. It's trying to touch on what it means to live a life where you're aware and you're paying attention and you're leaning, uh, living, living with purpose. And, and so that's, that's, uh, I never want to become something that's not that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Moving on to the final question of uh, this show, Cole. I don't know if you remember this, but you had mentioned a couple months ago in one of your newsletters that you were looking to launch your own line of chocolate-flavored fortune cookies. So have you ever given it any serious thought is my final question for you, Cole. <laughs> That's so, yes, I have. I've given that a lot of thought. Um, it's actually since morphed a little bit into <clears throat> a cereal brand that I am that's in the works. I don't know if it'll ever launch, but I'm um, wanting to create a, a really cool vintage styled uh, cereal brand um, that has like cool stories and stuff on the back of the cereal boxes with like really interesting toys and, and stuff like that. Um, so the fortune cookie idea has kind of morphed into that more. Um, but I still love the idea of fortune cookies. It's just always, you know, like since I am a smaller a smaller brand, right? I have to be careful about where I'm investing my energy. But uh, th did that uh, seem like something interesting to you? Oh, yes, definitely. I remember, in fact, even replying to the email saying I'd definitely jump on it if you were to launch it, right? That's my answer. Uh, okay. So be it cereal or be it okay. fortune cookies, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be there. Okay. So. I'll, let, I'll let you know if, they, if it ever launches. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear it from you, Cole. Thank you so much. And with that, we've kind of wrapped up the entire episode, Cole. Thank you so much for your time once again. I had an incredible time. I hope you had a good time as well. Thank you. No, I, I really appreciate you inviting me on. And I also appreciate all the uh, research and thoughtful questions that you put into it. It, it definitely showed. So uh, thank you for being a great host. Thank you so much.